But again, remember, I'm only saying stuff you know, but I know in my everyday life, forget this, just remember, this is part of a whole letter. We're just lifting out a few verses. There weren't chapters, there weren't verses. And I think we need to remember that. This continues on from some of the themes that John's been talking about earlier in this letter. And he starts with, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we, all, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now I know a few weeks ago, many of you staggered um, down to the front door and you took up your bagfuls of Valentine cards and you just realise how much you are loved. We're in the month of love just. Um, my Mary didn't buy this card, but she picked up this card. She was looking for a card, obviously, for the love of her life. Um, <coughs> cough, cough. In case you wonder, that's me, all right? Okay, you can ask her later. And this card said on the outside, I love you more than yesterday. Then you open up, but then yesterday you did get on my nerves a bit. When you look at this word love, I think it can be the most powerful word ever and it can be this so trashy, sentimental load of garbage. I used to, when I was still, well, I still do look, but not like I used to, but I used to look regularly at the words of pop songs. I still do a bit, particularly if I'm speaking to young people, because it's amazing what you can find. You can find some good stuff there. But if you wiped out the subject of love from lots of the modern songs, even Ed Sheerings, you know, that actually, Sheerings rather, that actually you would not end up with many songs around. But they don't always spell it L-O-V-E, 
They spell it S-E-X-L-U-S-T. And even when they do spell it L-O-V-E, sometimes the standard of it is quite low. So when we have this title, The Incentive to Love, I'm really saying, what do you actually understand by that word? Even as a Christian, what do we understand by that word? Some friends of ours are in this church about three weeks ago, Richard and Heather Montgomery. Pray for them because they were going to go out with the CMS. They're from Upton Vale Baptist in Torquay, but he's a retired doctor and they were going to go to Jordan. They're really seeking God's will for their future. Just say that so you pray for someone in the Christian family. But they bought a house in North Devon to actually help a relative. They were fortunate enough to be able to do that. This relative would have been in a right fix without them. That house, actually, the garden ended up on a programme because my wife wrote to Alan Titzmarsh, who some of you know, and the garden ended up being revamped. This is about four or five years ago. But when they went to buy this house, they noticed the name of it. The name was A-G-A-P-E, Agape. They thought, whoa, we're buying off a Christian. Some of you, if you don't know why I'm saying that, you will in a minute. If you don't know why I'm saying you've been a Christian for several years, well, interesting, if you were here two weeks ago, shame on you, because this gentleman here talked about it. But they thought, right. So through the agents, they said, well, um, do you, do you know, why did, why? they didn't say they were Christians. They put out some fears, wanted to know why the people had named it. And they, didn't, they said, actually, it was there when we bought the house. When they talked to some neighbours, some neighbours actually were talking to them and they said, we've always wondered what, why they, this is named Agape. We thought it meant a gap in the road. We thought it meant a gape when you gape at somebody. We thought it was a plank of wood. They thought it was all sorts of things. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because agape is actually the word, as David said to us, used most in the New Testament and normally used of the relationship between Christians and God and vice versa. There are other words like storge and phileo and there's a word, a Greek word called eros, interesting, which would be in the charts. You don't find that in the Bible. But this word here, agape, is a very powerful word, extremely powerful. It's the one that speaks of relationship most of the time between us and God. Phileo, I'm not here to give a Greek language. I couldn't anyway. But, uh, but actually, you know, but that isn't such a strong word. It's a good word. But this word agape has been used. And it's interesting when you looked at those people and the neighbours, they didn't know the true meaning of that word. And just my challenge, if I stop now, I could stop now. I suppose I'm asking this morning, do we know the true meaning of that word? We've sung a lot of it. John and whoever uh, chose the the songs, chose some terrific songs here this morning. Some powerful songs. The word love was there many, many times. Do we understand the true meaning? And you might, if I was sitting, I'd be saying, of course I do. I've been a Christian for 50 years, Nigel. You think I am in the primary school of Christianity? Well, I think in the next few weeks when we look at loving one another, we'll find out whether we know the true meaning of the word. And I speak to Nigel Taylor there. They didn't realise the power of that original word. 
And in this particular passage that David gave me, the word love is there 27 times. To love one another, that I mustn't be speaking on this morning, is actually there three times. And, Jesus, and, and David very clearly talked about this word meaning unconditional, selfless love. A very, very powerful word. And I just say to you, just remember, although this applies to how we love other people outside the church, please remember the context. This is written to Christians, this letter. And whoever speaks on love one another will remind you that the legend is that John, who wrote this, even till up till he was dying, used to be carried into churches and the only words he kept saying to people was love one another. You don't do that unless people are not doing it, do you? A reminder. So this is why I was a bit naughty, this is the leftover from me speaking in classrooms, to make people think, when I say, do we know the true meaning? Let's, exa- let's be honest before God and the Holy Spirit. Because when you look at this, this is where I feel, this just defines you know, the essence, when we look at the essence of this love, the DNA of this love, actually, earlier in the epistle, that John talks about God is light, but here, twice in this passage, he says, God is love. Whoa! God is love. You cut through love and there's God there. You cut through God and there's love. This is divine love. This is not always the love that's sung about in the pop charts or Wordsworth might make a poem about or someone else might write a book about. This is God. This is divine love. And this is the sort of love we're meant to be loving with. That's another sermon, obviously. Divine love. And I just say this carefully. I've met some beautiful human beings, and I'm just going to say this because we don't know any God knows, who are not yet Christians, and they put me to shame with the way they love other people. I don't care whether you go into a factory or an office, I've worked in both those environments, in a school wherever you meet some human beings who go more than the extra mile, but they don't know Jesus. Well, it seems they don't. I have to be very careful what I say. But the love they're using is not this love. And the passage backs it up. This is divine love, God himself. The very essence we're talking about, when we love somebody, that's the sort of love we're meant to, 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 to actually um, use. And we read these words the expense of this love, an example of this love. We know what it is. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Incredible. And there, and there's a phrase, a phrase that's only used uh, here in the NIV. It's, it's actually uh, been translated, then God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That phrase, atoning sacrifice, you'll only find one other place in the whole Bible with this particular Greek word, and it's in John chapter 2, I think it's verse 2. 
might be verse 12, forgive me, check it out yourself. Tremendous word in the old translation, it's called, if I can pronounce it right, propitiation. And it frightens the life out of some people when you look at what that word means in the English. But what it actually means is this, there's a barrier between us and God, our sin, our guilt, and God removed it. That's what it means, if you check out the meaning of that word. That has been removed so that you and I can actually meet up and have a relationship with a holy God and look at the cost of it. Look at the cost. We remind ourselves every, um, every week often of this. I put this up here because I didn't want you to think they were my words. This guy is dead, but I like the way he put it. He said, the crucial act of agape was actually performed in history on an April day about AD 30 at a supper table in Jerusalem in a garden across the Kidron Valley in the headquarters of Pontius Pilate and on a Roman cross at Golgotha. What a cost for you and I to know divine love in us. Incredible. And we're all here today. We're all here today because we've experienced that love for ourselves. Some of you know me know that actually I like you too. Don't write me off for that. If you don't know what you two is, it's a Christian. Well, I was going to say it's not a Christian band, but actually some of them do have a faith in God. But there are, some think the greatest rock band in the world. We can debate that afterwards. But in one of their recent songs, this is what they said: "Love is bigger than anything in its way." And God's love was so big for you and me that the very thing that gets in the way between you and I having relationship, our sin, our failure, our guilt, our hang-ups, our mistakes, the whole lot, God removed it when he put that all on Jesus on the cross. Isn't that incredible? David talked about the freedom we have. We sit here with that freedom because Jesus Christ died for you and for me. Isn't that incredible? I hope we never lose the wonder of that. I hope we don't stop filling up in our eyes with tears when we come and break bread and we drink wine. I hope we never become complacent about that because I am here, the life I've had, the marriage I've had, the wife I've had, the career I've had, if you want to call it that, the very physical life I've got is because Jesus Christ hung on a horrible cross, still one of the worst forms of, of death for me to know a holy God. Whoa, if that doesn't excite me, what should? If that doesn't move me, what should? And sometimes we talk about it in such a sentimental way and yet look at what it costs. Horrendous. Horrendous. Some of you know I'm a trustee of crops and before Christmas we had a project called Jesus Live. It's a mobile classroom uh, funded by the money from John Lang Trust. Some of you know those names. And, and uh, th- over 3,000 youngsters went through it in seven schools in our city and area. And they heard about the love of Jesus and they actually wrote on post-it notes. It was done in an educational way, not a preachy way, otherwise it wouldn't have got into schools. It's a very educational tool. If you don't know it, come and speak to me afterwards. That thing up there doesn't allow me to unpack it too much. But this is what's two things that only that I've lifted from what youngsters wrote on post-it notes. This is a teenager today. Did Jesus love us that much? Yes, he did. But they didn't know that. 
Why does Jesus find it so easy to forgive people? What two profound questions from teenagers from one 45-minute lesson in our city. And there were some other tremendous answers. If you want to see some of them, I'll get a sheet for you. Uh, tell me afterwards. And you might know the shop, the entertainer. There's the owner of it. And he said, no one had ever told me that Jesus overwhelmingly, unconditionally loved me. His wife went to church. His name is Gary, Gary Grant. He's the owner of the entertainer. We've got a shop in, in town. And his wife had been going to church for years. She bought him a ticket to go to a men's breakfast. That's a plug for the men's breakfast, isn't it? We'll all be there now with our non-Christian friends. Anyway, don't, don't want to give a guilt trip to you. But actually, there's a plug for the, the, the breakfast that's coming up. But she bought a ticket. And he went there. And they, in his language, they had a preacher. And he said, and I'll read this so I don't get it wrong, those words up there that I've just put on there. And then he went the next day, which was a Sunday, and when he sat on the back row, he sat at the back, he started to cry and he didn't know why. And this is what he said. An hour later, I was still crying, but something had dramatically changed. I walked out of church that night, realising that God really, really loved me. He didn't like everything I did, but he loved me. God doesn't say, if you change what you do, I'll love you. He says, I love you unconditionally. Agape love. Then look at the punch, he says, at age 33, he says, why didn't someone tell me about Jesus earlier? Whoa, that gets me. Whoa. See, when the love of Jesus hits your life, it turns you around, doesn't it? I, I remember um, some friends paid for Mary and I to go to Israel in 1993 with them on a, on a special guided tour. And on the Sunday afternoon, we went round the walls of Jerusalem. This was not part of the tour, we just did it. The other friends who've been to this church surname Taylor, no relative, uh, they were with us. And they left me at one point, they went ahead and I just stood there and I looked out from the walls of Jerusalem towards a rock and I was about where General Gordon had looked out of a window and I saw this rock in the shape of a skull. By it was a minaret. Below it was a bus station on the very spot where some field the cross stood. And there was a line of shops and banks. And suddenly I felt overwhelmed. And as a man, I don't mind saying this, I filled up. Because many feel that's where the cross was. There's the rock to prove it, the shape of the skull. Golgotha. And why I filled up was I thought, what a picture of our world. The bus station. We're so busy rushing around in our world. People... Just go past Jesus. Don't even think about him until there's a crisis, do they? Then the minaret. I'm not here to knock other religions, but even the religion of Christianity can get in the way of Jesus, can't it? Let's be honest. So whatever religion you call it. And then you get banks and the shops. And I challenge this to myself as well. Your materialism, as we know from the parable of Sower, can also get in the way of people acknowledging Jesus. But it just hit me that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, probably on that spot, hung there for me. And he did it for me, my filthy condition. 
He didn't wait for me to change. He's been changing me ever since at 17 and a half. I trusted him to be my saviour. And I hope this morning that actually, you know, that, that actually if we don't, well, this is all basic, we all know it. And I'm quite passionate about it. This is not a show. This is my heart. This is what drives me. It really is. I'm not, this is not a show. But you see, the incentive for love, oh, if someone does that for you, what other incentives do we need? Look at the word. If you look up the dictionary, a thing that motivates or encourages someone to do something, a payment or concession to stimulate greater output or investment. If you take that definition, he, that's Jesus, has done something to motivate me and paid the price to stimulate greater output. The incentive to love other people, that's what this passage means, it should be if Jesus did this for me, then as a result, I have all of the above. That's in this passage. Relationship with God. We'll come to that in a moment. Later we find we don't have to fear death. But actually I have all of that. What more incentive do I need? You'll be pleased to know that was my longest point. My next E is expectation. Because building on from that is actually, um, you know, the expectation is that we are meant to love one another. John expected it. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And again, the verses that David quoted two weeks ago, Jesus expects it. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what's the incentive to love there? Surely, if Jesus expects it. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? Then my next point I've called evidence. And love, this love, is meant to flow out of us as a natural result of our relationship with God. Those verses we read talked about God living in us and us in him and he has given us the Holy Spirit talks about a very intimate relationship. I've just printed just part there a book I finished reading recently. If anyone wants to borrow it, you're welcome. It's a, it's a tremendous testimony by this lady up there she looks fairly young, but she's not, well, be careful I say, talking about a lady, I'll stop there before I get in the deep water here. But actually it's by Holly Oldway, she's a professor in literature, she's now uh, in another specialism as you'll see. And the book is called Not God's Type, and it just says, an atheist academic lays down her arms. It's a story of somebody who is a cynical, ardent, anti-Christian atheist. And I'm only, I was going to read you a page, but I think this will give you the sense of it. This is at the end of a journey of several years. And look what she says. Someone who didn't understand what it meant for God to live inside. I felt the presence of something, someone, that was within me, yet outside or beyond myself. And I've jumped a few words 
And then without my asking, I encountered the other. That's what she was calling. Then she goes, God, the Holy Spirit, she clarifies, in a way profoundly different from evaluating him as an idea. And when you and I became a Christian, we didn't understand it. I didn't understand it fully, but God came in and he changes us. He changed us. Uh, that's incredible. So the incentive for us to love it, to, to actually love other people is if we want God's love to be going out to other people, we need to make sure that our relationship with God is good and healthy. And to quote the passage there, we need to actually make sure we continue to be filled with God and we know that from Ephesians that that is through the Holy Spirit. John referred to that, I, I found that helpful in, a, in his leading of worship today. And that is the challenge and I think sometimes I might find it hard to love with the divine love because actually I'm a bit empty. You're probably different. True story. Actually, a Baptist pastor's wife, so it must be all right. Some of you will remember that a few years ago they brought out this ball that you put in your washing machine and you put liquid in it and you put it in and it did all the washing for you. And our friend Carrie, actually, uh, she got one of these and she put it in the washing machine and she thought it was tremendous and the liquid came out of it and it washed all the, all the goods and it was great. Five weeks later, um, Derek had a word where he said, yeah, my clothes are starting to smell a bit funny, you know. And he said, are you still using that ball? You know, that new idea that came out. You still, yeah, yeah, I'm using that. Yeah, I'll keep putting it in the machine, yeah. Yeah, and washing, yeah, great, good, good, great. He said, you do fill it up with new liquid, don't you? She stopped and she looked at him. <coughs> Oh, what? I thought you just put the ball in the wash. And she'd been, honestly, she'd been putting the ball in but not filling it up with new washing liquid. This is the truth. I'm not making this up. And I'm talking about a school teacher here <laughs> and a Baptist pastor's wife. So, you know, you see, that is, the, you know, I'm not made that up. That's a true story. If I ever come here, I'll introduce you to Carrie. Lovely person. Uh, fantastic. But she just thought that was it. One filling, that's enough. I challenge myself sometimes when people start to talk about experiences you've had of God and I personally don't like talking about it too much. It may not seem like that when people talk to me because it seems like you're showing off. But actually if you start talking about an experience of God several years ago, I want to say what about experience of God today? Someone who was my mentor right up until I moved here, and I wish I was still there, it was a leftover from being in Christian ministry, but I carried it on. I used to meet with Gordon. He used to be the vicar of St Matthias Church in Torquay. He was retired like me. And you know, sometimes what he used to say to me and made me sit back because he'd say, how are you with God? <gasps> Boom. Makes you think, doesn't it, when someone says that? Whoa! No camouflage there, is there? You know? And I just say if we struggle to love and we, we constantly, and I'm talking about regularly here, finding that certain people are getting right up by our nose, 
and it really gets to us, I'd ask you lovingly, I'll, go, I'll drop my voice so I'm not seen as being aggressive, to come before God and see whether you'll continue to ask God to fill you every day. Because it's possible we laugh at Carrie in the washing machine ball, I don't know what they were called, but I think some, I know Nigel Taylor has lived like that. When I was working 100% in God's work and I was a Christian worker, full-time professional, I have to confess there were times when if I'm really gut honest, I'd forgotten to fill up the ball with the Holy Spirit. I helped them, hate to make it sound so crass as that because I don't mean it that way. In other words, I forgot to be still before God and say, God, I can't carry on even though you've called me to, to do this work. I need you to keep filling me afresh. I find I actually need to do that every day. Because if not, I think this whole area of love shows. It shows in church meetings. It shows how we share our opinions with other people, how we think Breton Church is, how we think Breton Church isn't, how we think Breton community outside is or isn't. It will show. It will show. And by that, I don't mean it doesn't mean you can't be forthright and straight. I'm not saying that at all. But are we filled? Because if we're not, then I don't think we'll have a strong incentive to want to show God's love. I think my time has gone, but I'll skip ahead here. I've got one or two other things to say. This is, um, I don't know what, if I, yep, that's right. This is Kay Warren, Rick Warren, Saddlebank Church, some of you know it. And in a recent edition of Christianity, I think February issue, she was talking about a parent loving children, and I like what she said. Our primary job is not to instill the ten most basic systematic theology points. Why well, that's important, so she's not decrying that for the theologians here. What's most important is that children know, through the way we love them, that God loves them. In the same magazine a month earlier, Jeremy Vine was talking about his father, actually, who was a, a minister. Uh, a, a pastor, and he is saying it's better to be kind than to be right. Why have I put those there? To be controversial? No. We come from the evangelical church, and in the evangelical church, we can spend a lot of sweat and tears making sure we're right. But boy, have we come across so cold sometimes. That's the point I want to make, and I'm quite happy to debate it with people. What is more important? If we really believe that we need to love one another, now it doesn't mean we throw our principles out the window. That's not what those people were saying, particularly Kay Warren. But I think we ought to stop sometimes and see how we convey our theology if we want to get deep. Do we convey it in love? Do we convey it in one-upmanship? How do we convey it? This is not in John, but this is where I will end. I've got another illustration, but my time had gone. But um, Paul, when he's talking about to the Colossians and he's also referring to the Laodicean church, he actually says this in a prayer. We're talking about they were knit together in love. And I would just pray for this church as we look ahead that that's how we'll remain Wasn't it thrilling last week? What a wonderful service we had here last week. 
And wasn't it wonderful to hear people say that they felt God's love in this church when they came? That moved me. That moved me. Let's pray with all our prayers, whether we go to a prayer meeting or not, that this church will remain knit together in love. That's quite something to keep that, I tell you. But we'll have to be open before God and keep asking him to fill us every day as individuals and as a church. I hand back to David.